Stevie Aitken had the high of taking over ambitious Iska Bright last week, only to suffer the crushing blow of losing his day job at Rolls-Royce just a few days later. With the aviation industry on its knees, Stevie's focus will now be on sparking Kilby's takeoff. The former Dumbarton manager has been handed a budget to get the club up, up and away out of the Lowland League and into the SPFL. Stevie will have old son's assistant Ian Durant and brother Chris alongside him in the dugout when football gets going again. Plus, with plans for a new stadium at K-Park already given the green light, Kilby could be the place to be this season. We'll talk to Stevie about how pleased he is to be back in football again and how he found his 18 months out of the game. We'll also look back at his earlier managerial spells in charge of Stranraer and Dumbarton, who were the highest placed part-time team during his reign. They also reached their first National Cup final in 121 years. There'll also be time to reflect on his playing days, which started out at Morton 2. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Welcome along to episode 11. Episode 11, Paul, can you can you believe it? Double figures already. I read some statistics this week which said we've now had over 2,500 downloads as well. That's fantastic, isn't it? They said it was uh, going to be like a marriage and it would never work, Gareth, but uh, we've done well, eh? A few yeah, tips. <laughs> couple of tips on the road. Well, good to have you all listening. We're here every Wednesday with a new episode. If you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. I'm David Gormley, manager at Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Stevie Aitken, the East Cobride manager, is our guest this week. Thanks for joining us, Stevie. Thanks for having us on. We were talking about the, the golf courses reopening when David Gormley was on last week. I'm, I'm guessing you've been making the most of that too? I have been. Um, it's, it's been really good. The, the weather's been kind to us as well. Uh, they can manage to get back out in the course. Uh, I think that was eight weeks the, the courses were shot for. And the way I played all week, it's maybe, it was maybe longer than eight weeks the last time I saw that club. So um, a wee bit of work to go, uh, but there's still a wee bit of time in front of us before I can get back to my new work. What are you playing off? Uh, at eight at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's maybe a bit higher than that in the last couple of games. So, uh, hopefully, in the next few weeks, we can get some more games. And I can maybe try and get that handicap uh, down towards where my wee brother is. Uh, a wee bit of a bandit playing off five. Is, is uh, the fact you're down to eight a sign that you have been out of management for 18 months and you've had all this time to play golf? Well, I, I thought we left on Barton, I think I was something like 16, so... Is that right? <laughs> that probably tells you that uh, all my time is staying up there. Um, <laughs> and when you get some time out, you can you can go and do other things. And I enjoy playing golf, you know, it's great sport. Get, of course, uh, good exercise. And it also gives you four hours of, of peace and quiet, which you don't normally get. I also invited you for the game, Stephen, until I found out you were off eight. So we'll just uh, cancel that invitation. <laughs> Well, if you're going to get us a game, try and get us in the next couple of weeks because you've got a good chance of beating me. <laughs> I say that, I'm, I'm all 15 or 16. Uh, I don't want to lose my job at New Mains to get my handicap down right enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep your job going as long as you can. Uh, before we chat some more, we've got the Down the Divisions Decider where one of us gives four clues for a particular year. Last week, Law came roaring back to make it 1-1, but this week, Davis has the chance to move back in front. So I'll get you involved as well, Stevie, with this. Um, okay. So which year did Peterhead and Elgin get granted league status? Dr. Harold Shipman was sentenced to life imprisonment 
after being found guilty of murdering 15 patients. Chelsea beat Aston Villa 1-0 in the last FA Cup final at the Old Wembley. And Big Brother aired for the first time in the UK. Any ideas, Stevie? I think the Peter Hairdale was probably my best chance because I'm just trying to think. Um, when I started off at, at Morton as a kid um, um, in the divisions, A teams weren't in in the leagues at that point. So uh, let me try and get see many fingers and toes I can count to go back the way and see how I go. <laughs> Paul, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the decades. I think the FA Cup final was that not the quickest goal scored in the FA Cup final? Was it uh, Di Matteo? Was it? No, you're shaking your head there, Gareth. I think I think that was Middlesbrough. That that, that yeah, was against. I know that, I know that, I know that cup final you're talking about. It was no something like 45 seconds or something. Like that. Aye. Mm. Right, Big Brother. Well, Big Brother's been going with easily 15 years. I would have thought, maybe more. Maybe more. He, Stevie's sitting there waiting on me giving an answer. I was always the guest. The guest always goes first. You're what do you reckon, Stevie? Um, <clears throat> what, did, what did you say? What decade? No, no. What, what, <laughs> <laughs> what year? What year? Um, I'll go for 1992. No. No, surely. I'm only going to Peter Head Nelgan. But 1998. We'll find the answer out at the end of the show. Would that be right? Oh, it's a bit of a gap there, isn't it? I'm Cammy Bell, Queen's Park goalie, and this is Down the Divisions. New East Cup Ride Manager Stevie Aitken is our guest tonight. Uh, first of all, Stevie, congratulations on the new appointment. Thank you. Um, as I talked about in the intro, it sounds like the club has, has quite a few big plans. Did, did you quite realise what you were walking into when, when you first went and met the owners? And did they kind of surprise you with the ambitions they had? I didn't really know, uh, to be honest, you, what, when I went there, what I was going to get into, what I was going to face. Um, I certainly know through the years that a lot of players were leaving senior ranks uh, and signing up to school bride. I knew that the, the, the Keen brothers were, were East Coast Bride born and bred and they were desperate to try and take the club forward. So I was picking up bits and bobs. Uh, obviously, Gerante's uh, best pals, McCoy's, two's best pals, them. So there was always a connection there. Uh, but I, I didn't really know them at all. And I think that's why I was intrigued to go and speak to them because you're never going to find out until you talk to people. Um, and right from the very first meeting that I had them, I was really taken back about where they wanted to take the club. Um, and it's fine when you when you speak to people and they say this is their ambition, but they've got to then follow up with a plan. Uh, and then they, they did do that. And right from then, I thought this is a really exciting project, as they would maybe say. Um, and I can't wait to get started and uh, really excited about uh, the journey ahead. I've obviously been up there with the over 35s team and played at the K Park, and it's a fantastic setup. I see they've got plans for a, for the new ground. What's the what's the reasons for that, Stevie? Because obviously. The facility up there is first class as it is. No, it is. Um, when I went up to, to speak to them and look about it, uh, and we actually kind of see in what they've got. They've got a gym next to the dressing rooms. and You're, you're right, everything about it is, is really acceptable for this level of football. Um, but what they want to go and do is take East Coast to the next level, which means try to get through the leagues. And then we do that, then you're going to have to build a new stadium. 
for capacity for maybe away, away fans and maybe what he can generate at East Coast Bride because it's a big, big catch in there, East Coast Bride. Um, so it's really forward thinking for them. Um, they're desperate to do it. They're desperate to, um, to build the stadium. The funds are there. Uh, the, the planning mission, if it's not there, it's just about there. Uh, so everything is geared right up to take this club um, as far as it can. And the two, the two uh, James and Paul, I said, uh, I don't think they'll stop um, in terms of where they want to be until they get there. And I say, hopefully I can take them on that journey. Is the plans to have the ground on the, the site of the K-Park, or is it going to be somewhere else? It's somewhere else. Uh, it's not far from it. Uh, I think it's probably a five-minute drive, so uh, I think location is still really good. Um, and when you actually see the plans in depth, when you, I know people say about a, a stadium, but when you actually look at what they're trying to do there, they were a full rehab centre at the stadium for injured players, both catering for weddings. Um, it's, the actual stadium itself will be like now, uh, a wee bit like still an Albion's model. Uh, but say either side will be a stand, uh, and then the kind of far away side across the main stand, they'll, they'll look at that, uh, depending how far they go. So they said, what kind of surface wheel on it? And I was like, well, I think I prefer grass. And they said, well, that's fine, because there'll be two AstroTurf parts built next to it as well. Um, and they're really, really serious about what, what they want to do. Um, I've just got the, the challenges for me now is to try and get them where they want to be. Um, and I'm realistic enough to know that this year in the Lowly's going to be very difficult. There's a lot of good teams in it, um, you know, but we need to try and uh, get where they want to be and they say, hopefully I can help them on their, their journey. The infrastructure off the park obviously sounds sounds superb. In terms of budget, the budget that you're going to be able to call on, um, is that something that, that we've seen Kelty, for example, spend big, bring players who otherwise would have been playing up the leagues. They've come down, they've bought into the, the plan and in another year, they could have got to the leagues, couldn't they? Um, yeah. Is is that a kind of similar model, I guess, that, that you're going to be working with uh, yeah, we've had discussion about it. Obviously, when when, when uh, we'll go down to kind of last couple of interviews, uh, meetings, they started talking about budgets, um, and what the guys said was, look, they'll put a competitive budget in place that they'll they'll, they'll give you opportunity to compete. Uh, but they didn't put any figures on it uh, because obviously, in the, the way the world is at the moment, we don't really know when we can start back. Um, what state football is going to be in? So they'll be competitive. Um, you know, they'll work within their means, and they'll, they'll know. Maybe do what other teams done in the past, like just try and maybe buy their way through it. You know, there's still a lot of good talent in the Lone League. Uh, there's a lot of good talent there as well. So I think it's trying to get the balance right, you know. But if there's a player there that uh, I think and we all think that they can take a club forward, then the club will work really hard to get there. Um, you know, and as a manager, that's all you want to hear. Um, you want to hear that they're going to support you. They'll do everything they can. Uh, you know, sometimes there's only so far you can take a deal uh, and it falls through and then you move on to the next target. But uh, no, the guys are very supportive, uh, you know, and will work real hard to get the right players in. You're also going to bring in your brother and uh, ex-Rangers legend Ian Durant to the club. Ian was obviously your assistant at uh, Dumbarton. What's the tie up there? How did you get involved with Ian? Well, uh, when I, lo- I knew him obviously uh, through football for years. Obviously, when Rangers got into the, the lower leagues, uh, I was at Stranraer at the time, um, and obviously we bumped in a few times playing the games. Um, so there's a, a connection there. Um, obviously, everybody knows who Ian Durant is and what he did in the game. So I was always in, intrigued to speak to him. Uh, it kind of came from the same area uh, that my family came from. So we always spoke. Uh, I always liked the way he spoke. He was a character. Um, you know, anytime anybody's come across him, um, he's just really, really aff- aff- affectious. 
So when Steve Farr left to go to Stranraer, it kind of left me uh, a place to uh, avoid a place to fill, and I wasn't really sure what we were to go down, uh, who to bring in. You know, I was just one day thinking who would be really good in the restroom, uh, and his name just sprung out. So I phoned Derek McInnes at Aberdeen to say you've worked to you, what do you think? So I wasn't too sure if he'd like he would go into that environment because he's been used to the big big clubs and. Uh, he phoned them for me on my behalf uh, and phoned back and says, listen, now we jump at it. Um, made a phone call, met him the following day and uh, within a day or so we had a deal done and, um, and he walked into his restroom and, and um, since then he's been, he's been terrific. He's obviously well known in Scottish football but the, the, the two of you seemed to kind of dovetail quite quickly. Was it a relationship that um, that did work quite well? Yeah, it's like everything else. It's whether it's assigning a player or recruiting a, a member of staff. I mean, until you actually bring the person in, you don't really know how it's going to be. Um, you know, as I said, I had met him uh, in the company before, and I, and I liked the way he was. Uh, but we just had to off right away. The, the very first couple of training sessions, it just fit in uh, as if he never, as I've been there all these days, and as if I'd been working with him for five, six years. So um, he's just that kind of a guy that uh, he's so passionate about football. He loves the game. It's what he's done since he left school. And being about in the football environment, uh, it, it keeps him on his toes and it seems to be that big smile on his face again. For weeks here, we will be kept in touch, but the last five or six days, it's uh, the phone's been constant and it's three times a day and he's ready to go like everybody else. Are you ever on, I mean, I know personally that he likes to slaughter the Welsh from time to time. Um, is he, I mean, as you're the manager, I take it he gives you total respect. You, you haven't had a Durant, a Durant uh, slaughtering, no? No, you're joking. I think Ian uh, would slag his wife if he had a chance to. Angela's listening to this and she maybe um, understand. But he's just a, he's a character, you know, and you need to be on your toes. And at the first couple of times, I, I, he said stuff and I thought he was like serious. And I looked at him next minute, it's a big grin in his face and he's laughing. So it took me a while to work him out, you know, but I've, I've heard all his jokes seen four times now. So I know what the punchline is, so I'm always a step ahead of him. Obviously, you were kind enough to allow me to come into to training and see how you guys do it. And he, as you say, he's a really warming guy because he's a, a huge figure in the game. How did the boys take to that? You know, obviously, in war of somebody like that, because he, he certainly is a massive name in Scottish football, isn't he? No, he is. And I think the players, because uh, Stevie Farrell was well liked in the dressing room because Stevie's training uh, and coaching was just superb. So the players really liked him. So when, when we, we lost him to Stranraer, you can see it can affect the dressing room. And, and that's why I wanted to get a right type of person in that would give the dressing room a lift again. And when they walked in, uh, he, he knew a lot of the boys, all the Dan Barry's Hearts days, Mark Brown was at the time. So there's guys that he came across, uh, you know, but he's like, I'd also end up to water. Uh, spoke about why he came in, uh, the challenge ahead. And next minute out in the training field and I thought he knew it, he was uh, laughing and joking every day um, and I think they got a big lift from that and certainly that season uh, helped us go over the line So kind of going back to your managerial career you actually went back to Stranraer as assistant manager to Keith Knox how did you find that being the assistant? It was a really good stepping stone for me uh, in terms of to get into management uh, as quite early as I did when I finished playing you know it was still I think it was 33, 34 it was when I stopped my last game and I helped Keith because at that point we're really, really struggling. Um, you know, I think Keith is doing everything himself to signing players. I think he was driving the minibus. Uh, I think he probably one point followed in the strips as well. So uh, he really needed a hand in the football side of it. And we have been based in Glasgow and we've been based up here. It was a lot easier for me to go and speak to players, uh, go and look at training venues. So right away I was getting really good experience and I was grateful for Keith and Strunath giving that opportunity. Um, 
And I think if I didn't really have that early on, uh, I might not or maybe made the opportunity to manage the championship and, um, and, and manage it at a decent level. So very grateful for them for the opportunity they gave me. Um, you know, and it's a good club for, for, for doing that. And was your next step then, was it in to manage when Keith left? Was it in Stranraer? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really a difficult time at Stranraer. There was very, very little finances. Um, they were really, really struggling uh, in terms to try and get a competitive team in the park. But Keith living down here, I think he was getting it from supporters at the weekend, if it was a day off, uh, and obviously worked in the town as well. Um, I think the relationship with him and the board uh, maybe went the wrong way, and, and obviously the board decided to make a, a change, which is never nice. I spoke to Keith at the time. Um, I did see it coming. I think I spoke to him about that uh, as well. Um, and he just said, look, he says, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'd like you to take it on um, and try and keep... Uh, the, the club in that division because I think if we at that point we could easily slip down to League 2 and with a bypass Rangers they were coming up we down down and that's big big money um, so then it um, gave it our best shot and thankfully that year we stayed up which gave Rangers up the following year which gave a lot of finances and then after the club was, was starting to uh, on the up because it certainly for, for years it was on the way down and, and looked as if it might not survive at one time Was that always the way you'd hoped it would go not 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 Stranraer specifically, but was management always something that that took your fancy at some point and you wanted to have a crack at it, or did it kind of kind of almost come naturally? Just you were in the right place at the right time. I, I think it's like everything. I think when you finish off playing, I think you have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I always liked coaching, even fairly age. At, um, I was YTS at, at Morton. I used to go to the schools and help out coaching like 17, 18. Um, and also the local boys clubs used to go and help them train. So I think the coaching side was always was always there. Um, and I remember Neil Watt, the previous manager, was always saying like you can see early on that there was two or three that could possibly get into it. But I think management is different. I think until you actually get into management, uh, you don't really actually understand how it actually works and how the chemistry works about it. Dealing with board, dealing with players, dealing with agents, uh, dealing with egos. Um, so that was maybe the harder jump um, I think the coaching most people could put a, a coaching session on or a good training session but really man management and man management is, is a, a tougher task um, you know and that takes me while we get into but I said it's, it's something you're funny in the deep end and you just have to make it work and um, we had two or three really good years there and obviously being a number being a number two you've kind of maybe got a closer relationship with players that then has to change when you become number one yeah you're spot on and that's the things that people don't see because when you come through like playing to coaching and to manager at the same group of players then you don't really distance yourself that there's a line that they don't cross um, and I think that's the hardest point because you're really really close with people then you need to make decisions that might affect the person you're close to you know and that's not easy regarding contracts then uh, your relationship sometimes go with that person that you had as a player as a coach so yeah these are difficult things that you have to do as a manager uh, you know but you need to make sure if it is the right decision for the club and for yourself, then you stick by it and then hopefully at the end of it, the friendship you had that player still going to be there. And you obviously touched on Neil Watt and uh, Stuart Miller who, who we've had on already. Uh, big character, Stuart. They had a very successful team when you were at Stunrass. Was there any players left over from, from that time when you took the, the hot seat? I think there was. Actually, me and Michael Moore came back at the same time. Um, towards the end of their careers um, to, and he was still part of it when I started getting into kind of the coaching uh, and management so he was probably the only one that was left uh, in the group that actually went through the divisions with Neil and Stuart um, who had a great group of players 
um, and could really achieve what nobody would actually think you would do in a couple of years. Uh, so, yeah, he was the one that was still there, um, you know, but he was very, very supportive. You went from there to Dumbarton. How much of a leap was it? Did you find it a leap? When, when the call came in, they wanted to speak to me. My initial uh, thought was, uh, I'll knock it back. And I said that to Srinar's chairman. I said, no, I said, no disrespect. I said, but I want to try and build something at Srinar. Uh, we just got picked for the league that year. Uh, with Morton, we started recruiting. We kept this, the squad that was there. We added uh, Robert Thompson and signed Mark McGuigan. So we signed players that we think were a real chance at it. And I wanted to go and try and win the league with Srinar. I wanted to take Srinar to the championship. Uh, but when you actually sat and think of it overnight and spoke to a few people, um, and I'm quite grateful that I did do that now because it was the right move for me at the right time. To manage the championship uh, as early as I did in my career uh, it was always a hard challenge, but it's something I could look back on and, and be proud of what I'd done. I mean, going to Tanadice, going to Easter Road, going to Ibrox with a part-time team and, and make yourself competitive. Um, and to keep them up for, for two years, um, it, it, my first two years was probably something I thought would have been maybe un- unachievable because I knew how hard they'd been, but it was challenging, but I loved every minute of it, uh, and it was the right move for me at the right time. And uh, so hopefully, it's made me a better manager for it. I don't think you get the credit you deserve for that. I'm not saying that because you're sat there. Now, here's a different example. I remember speaking to Derek McInnes, uh, who was saying that when he's at Aberdeen, everybody expects them to challenge for the title every year. But on paper, if you look at the budgets that you get, that Aberdeen should be nowhere near breaking engines and Celtic yeah. every year. Yeah. Strip that back to where you were at Dumbarton. I mean, your budget to survive, actually survived the drop. I think it was two years in a row, didn't you? Yeah. You survived it. It's absolutely unbelievable. And to, I always think to see managers maybe lose their job off the back of that is unbelievable because you should never have you should never have survived any company yeah. budgets in that league. No, you're right in both aspects. Well, what day does it, Aberdeen? Uh, you know, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. I think a lot of people in the game will see that. We knew Lloyd and Martin, but the biggest challenge was have was trying to compete with all these full-time teams. One, that were training every day. They were training for two hours a day, two and a half hours a day. I was doing that maybe a week if, I, if possible. Uh, financing players to come in, a budget that was a shoestring compared to everybody else. So that was the two things we had to go and deal with. Uh, but you have to go and do it the best of your ability. You had to go and recruit the right players. And Stuart Miller was a good table on that. He came in and looked at the recruitment side. Uh, made that a good environment uh, but the key was then we recruited the right players uh, and if you do that that gives you a chance uh, and you look at the two part-time clubs and there's just now and how well they're doing so uh, it can be done but I think it's one of the hardest jobs in Scottish football I said that uh, part-time teams and a division with full-time teams it's hard going over the course of 36 games the one-off games you can always do well but to do it consistently with 36 games be competitive um in the second season especially and how good we were that year uh, I don't think they've got credit for it but when you're wee clubs uh, and you're not in the limelight as much and obviously I've not got a, a big name in Scottish football then it's really hard to get that you know but I accept that uh, but I know deep down we've done a, a great job there Did you use the loan system to try and get guys who's maybe in other clubs full time for the, for the fitness side of things or did you go down the different route of just bringing in solely part time players? No, we targeted a lot of full-time players that were just coming out of full-time, like Sir Darren Barr, Gregory Buchanan. Um, so they're still within a kind of full-time environment as such. Um, so when you get them in, well, they gave us a good backbone to the team. Uh, they gave us an opportunity um, to actually go and compete because we're just still fresh from full-time. There were guys like Gary Fleming, who are great servants to the club. Super uh, player. Uh, uh, superb. Um, so they knew how to play that division. 
So it was just about getting the balance right, um, and I think that was the key for us. Uh, but the loans market was great for us. Over the years, we had Jamie Lindsay, Callum Waters, um, Tom Walsh came in, we had uh, Sam Wardrop, Sam Stanton, Lois Vaughan. Over the years, we picked really good loan signings up, uh, and I think that was key for us um, in the two or three years I was here that were so competitive because the players were still in full-time environments uh, and mixing with the part-time players gave us a good chance. And even, what was the step-up like from Stranraer to the Championship in terms of the si- size of the club? Was things at, at Dumbarton much more professional compared to Stranraer? Uh, it's difficult to say. I don't think there was too much of a difference. I think part-time teams all work on the same basis. Now, they'll train at Tuesday, Thursday. They'll work around at the same basic budgets. Um, the training will probably be quite similar. Um, what I did at the Barton was I changed the training base. So right away we get Ben Burb Juniors, uh, what was you come up to. And yeah. that gives a base. We could go there uh, both nights, which was good. Uh, but there wasn't really too much um, difference between them. I don't think between any part-time teams. Uh, and I think you go down to obviously where we are at Lone League now and what I've seen at East Kilbride and spoken to a few people in it, and there's not a big, big difference. So I think it's all working about the same. I think it's just doing individual managers or individual clubs and how they do things, like it's a food after training, buses to games. Some clubs might not do that just down to finances, but I think the structure's probably about the same. You obviously did so well in the league, but um, there was also the the cup run in the Challenge Cup, wasn't there? And I remember... I remember going down to Oswestry Street to, to cover that semi-final game against uh, the New Saints. Yeah. And uh, stopping off for a toilet break at one of the service stations, minding my own business, walking out, and there was about three busloads of Dumbarton fans on the walking on the way in. Some some random random services down the M6. And I remember kind of walking into an Italian restaurant before before going to cover the game, and the place was full of Dumbarton fans. You know what was 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 what was that journey like? And, and as, as as much as the final didn't go your way. Was that whole journey, particularly probably that, that semi-final trip, does, does that stick in your mind even more maybe than the, than the the sort of successes if you want to, you know, staying in the leagues? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, I got to semi-final uh, before we from I think we played Livingston, I think it was, uh, in the lost Nilo, I think it was penalty kicks. But this one had a lot of scope because we were going to, obviously they were bringing teams in from Wales, or teams from Northern Ireland, um, and they also were playing the Wales champions who were playing two or three rounds of Champions League, then the Europa League qualifiers. So I'd watched them the week before as well, I went down. Um, but I didn't realise how big it was for the club because I knew it was big. I hadn't been to a cup final uh, and I was desperate for it to happen. But I thought because in Wales, a bit of a journey, it'd be difficult. But we done the same as you and we left in the morning of the game, stopped at Southway or whatever service station it was. And I'm looking at them, that's a Dumbarton scarf there and that's a Dumbarton scarf there. I'm thinking... So we stopped for a cup of tea and a bit of lunch um, and then obviously there was a two or three bus loads um, and I could see then that this is their big day, this is their day that they're desperate to get to this cup final um, and when we got to the ground and I mean the, the atmosphere and the amount of the Martin supporters that, that night was incredible that made that long, long journey down and the game itself, I remember the two goals and I will remember the two goals we scored because they were top drawer but that's what we had to do to beat that team because that Calibre team was was, was superb. Um, you know, they hadn't lost at home for they hadn't lost at home for ages, did they? No, and we're up against it for long spells. We're really hanging on, you know. But to come up with two goals like that and the atmosphere after it, uh, the joy in people's faces, going men, women crying, uh, that's them going to the family their cup final. It was really, it really took me back. Then it really, that really then realised the achievement that we've done here. 
Um, I say that night, the boys now, but they all came back early because it was just, I think they were just drained. A long, yeah. long day. We're celebrating after. I just think it, we all just hit a brick wall up and up road the following day. And it was, it was terrific. You know, the night we up, I was, I was desperate getting our cup. Desperate. We thought we had it. We minutes to go. We thought we ready for extra time. I still remember the game like, as if it was yesterday. Uh, it just wasn't to be. But to get in the cup final uh, was something special. And if we could have got in that cup, it would have been, it would have down history. Yeah, you know, and and, and it'd be great with everybody. Yeah, I mean, do you think? I think you touched on it at the time. I mean, with with the running the cup and having to keep up your league fixtures, were the boys running on empty by the time they got to that final? Particularly when it went as long as it did. Yeah, well, we were, we were running empty, and I remember saying to Gianni, um, I said, look, let's get a cup final, let's do what we can. Um, and then after that, we'll just need to look to see what we've got left in the tank. Because uh, either way, I mean, if we'd won, you'd probably be celebrating for three or four days. We had all the games to catch up in because of cup run. Um, if we lost, it was picking the boys back up again. So I thought it was always going to be difficult. Um, no, but I look back and I remember that I was desperate to win the cup. And I, I made a gamble with maybe 20 minutes to go that um, Demetrius Foxlass, or we call him Jimmy, who got us there, he was away at national duty. Uh, and Liam Burt was away and we had to get them, them two were flying in at the day of the game. So we managed to get them picked up at the airport uh, and we got them in. And I think it was just after the when Scott Gallagher saved the penalty. I think, right, this this is it. As before, I, I said, I made my mind up that I was about to win this. I'm going to go and win it. I'm going to put on... Uh, Jimmy because he's that type of player and let's go and win the cup final I don't know why I have any regrets uh, unfortunately that we lost a goal late on when we're, and we, but we thought with 50 minutes to go I said to you I said you've got this we'll have to control the game we'll look stronger than Vaness at the time uh, the momentum was with us the supporters were right on it we had a couple of good half chances uh, but it just shows you in football you just switch off or, or blink for a second that it can cost you and really after that, it was really, really difficult to try and pick the players back up for the rest of the season. And, and, and it caught his end. And uh, to, to lose the playoff final and the last kick of the ball, which did, uh, it was really tough to take. But I think that was the knock-on effect from uh, losing the cup final. You obviously uh, left them Barton after that. Was there any opportunities to, to get back in in the senior game? Obviously, you've got the Lowland League now. Did you have any chances at any other clubs to... Because as I said before... What you'd done at Dumbarton was unbelievable. Yep, um, yeah, there was. I think actually the, the same week I, I lost my job. I think three managers went that week. I think Alan Archibald went at Thistle. Uh, I think I went, and I think a uh, still an Albion manager went just at the back of me. But it was three that week, um, and I did get a call uh, from Stirling at the time uh, just to say, look, obviously we are in the process of recruiting. You've just lost your job, which is never nice. Uh, would you would you like to come and speak to us? Um, and as you said, look, I said it's uh, still obviously raw losing your job. You know, when you lose your job, it's never it's never nice, and a lot to try and sort out. But I probably wasn't ready to jump straight back on it. A lot of people say when you fall off the bike, get back on it. But I think I had to take some time out because it was just constant for six seven years as a manager, and the, the feedback I was getting from other managers was, listen, take some time out restock uh, and go again so um, I, I thanked him for their interest but I, I only went as far as a phone call um, and then after that the kind of phone goes dead for a wee while yeah. and nothing happens and, which was good in a way that uh, it let me do other things and I was going back to football with my dad I could go and watch my wee brothers uh, from playing I can go and get my golf my pals on a Saturday I've never done this for about 15, 16 years so there was things that I'd done that I actually enjoyed uh, but you still miss that desire on a Saturday 
to go and try and football. It's a, it's a, it's a Saturday day, you know. So, uh, you know, but yeah, there was opportunities to spoke to a couple of clubs, you know. But I just thought it was not right to get at that time, and um, in a way, now that I've got this opportunity, it might be the right decision. How much of a kick in the teeth was it when Dumbarton said you were going? Did you feel there was a I mean, I remember recruitment-wise and you'd have been unfortunate with injuries and, and the guys you brought in maybe hadn't quite done it. Did you feel the loyalty wasn't a two-way thing there a little bit? Yeah, I, I did um, because I also had a good two years here, um, two and a half years, even even the cup final. I think the back of what we'd done for two years, um, obviously losing the, the playoff final, yep, yeah, okay, but it was a time for the club to go back to League One, B group, uh, and let's try and build the club back up again. Um, and I was desperate to go and do that, desperate to get them back up. But I knew when you see any club like England go to the Premiership getting relegated they don't come back up the first year so you consolidate uh, and try and build it back up again we had a horrific time with injuries we recruited I thought it was really well obviously um, really like and we got Ross Forbes Michael Payton and we threw the team that we had in they're always going to be alright but the problem being was that I had eight players injured about every week and I, mean, I couldn't even fill a bench from day one to League Cup to my last game uh, of Stranath enough not once to be a full bench. It was always players injured, with players like centre forward, Andy Little playing right back. And I thought because of the injury situation that I knew it wasn't good enough. You know, I knew the results weren't great. Uh, I knew I was under pressure. But I just thought because what we've done in the last kind of three years that they'd say, look, get some players back and we'll, and we'll have a look at it uh, maybe halfway through the season. Because I think it was the first quarter. It was the last game of the first quarter. So I mean, we've still got plenty of games to get it right. No, but they have to act. act interest at Dumbarton you know and they had to make decisions aboard um, you know and they felt that was the right thing to go and do and I respect that they agree with it no because I think I would have, I'd have got them pulled them out of the kind of situation they're in but listen these things happen you know I wish them best it's um, enjoyed my time there you know but as you say things move on but I think it always leaves a sour test in your mouth when you lose a job or you don't get a contract for a club I think that's just to be it's just actually feeling that and when you're out of the game for 18 months you talk about you know coming in for you or you know making contact with you. When that phone stops ringing, what does it do for confidence? What does it do for the belief that you're going to get back in the game? Is, is do you have kind of days when you're thinking, am I going to get back in here? Am I going to have to look at you know alternative routes or alternative positions within football, whether it be coaching, youth coaching, that kind of thing? Yeah, I did look at different. Uh, roots back in uh, going maybe do some scouting uh, going look at players maybe going back in maybe at a, a youth level uh, as you said um, consider number two but I think being a manager you're a manager I think that's what you have to focus on um, you know but and some managers might have another route for number two but yeah you're right it's, I've seen jobs coming up Not people say you'll go to that one nothing you'll link to that one nothing then you may start down yourself I never lost faith in my ability and I, I, I knew through what I'd done for seven years, it was consistent for seven years, um, you know, so I knew I was confident that if I get back in, uh, I'll do well, but you're right, I was just wondering when's that phone going to ring, um, you know, so grateful it did, um, I said grateful for the opportunity to go and speak to uh, the guys at East Kilbride, and um, now I'm back in, recharged and ready to go. Was, was junior football ever a consideration for you, obviously I'm at junior level, uh, and at the kind of top of our game? Uh, some of the teams and some of the budgets are, are unbelievable and you know, there must be teams we always refer to Darville don't we it's a shame Mick Kennedy was on the show the other week but some of the money they're spending I noticed they, they took a boy from, from Dumbarton a couple of weeks ago yeah. that must have been an option surely 
I was always open to uh, any option, and I always said to, to even I talk to players that like, I said, go and uh, look at every option available. Go and look at every, if somebody wants to speak to you, even if you know deep down it's not for me. Give them the courtesy to go and speak to them. So, no, I, I played junior. You know, I followed junior football. My wee brother played junior for years. Uh, a lot of my, my pals uh, played junior. So, I know junior football as a decent level, and there's a lot of good clubs out there. Um, you know, but. I just had to wait for the right opportunity to come up. And if it was to go down the junior route, I wouldn't have thought twice about doing it. If it's the right club, the right project, the right ambition that would maybe match mine, then, yeah, by all means, um, a lot of good clubs in the junior level. There's a lot of good players out there, um, you know, and, and you're starting to find that out now and you're starting to start recruiting players. And uh, some of the money the junior teams are playing, I'd probably say would be maybe more than a lot of second division clubs. So uh, there's a lot of focus in there, um, you know, and, I, that, I enjoyed my time at junior football, a lot of good friends with it. So uh, no, I certainly for something there I would have looked at that. You talk about family. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about Chris, your brother. You've never worked with him before. Um, how's this gonna go? I, I, I have no doubt at all uh, that it's going to work really well. Um, you know, we're we're all excited about working together because he knows he knows Ian well as well. Um, but I think it was the right time. You know, I looked at it before. You know, he's been into coaching for the last five six years now. He's been assistant to Brian Estranoir. Uh, Obviously, Stevie, uh, he's got man as assistant manager. I spoke to him about him, and he said he'd been doing really well. Um, he's got great respect for the players. Uh, but it's like everything else. It's probably the same time when Giannetti came in. You're never really sure uh, how this will really work until we actually go to it. Um, you know, I'll probably speak to him differently when I speak to Giannetti because Giannetti's like what maybe turn around and maybe say something back or, or crack me in the job. Or we'd rather be too scared to go and do that. But <laughs> I, I think the good thing you've had is I, I've worked from for management and player. And that's always a difficult one because you make difficult calls and I've had made difficult calls from before in terms of contracts, uh, difficult decisions in terms of playing and was he selected for games. And, and I knew uh, deep down that I was always doing the right thing. And it's only now he realises uh, that that was happening. Um, so, no, I think it'll work out really well. Really excited, you know, but I think now he's now ready um, to come and work with me. Um, you know, a great experience working with Stevie and he's ready to go. Were you always close growing up? Were you would you always be kicking the ball out of the back garden together? Yeah, the two were always at football with our brother. Um, he, he played football, but uh, he kind of fell away from it. But, but kind of the 16, 17, and a lot of people do. They get an apprenticeship um, working with Zanussi at times in the washing machine, so he got away for that. But my and brother were always together playing football. We were working together, so I was like a kind of first-team player. He was YTS, we travelled there. So we've always had that common interest. Um, you know, always followed each other's career, so I obviously worked together as well in Rolls-Royce. So I think we've always been really close, um, you know, and I, I think that's going to keep continuing, uh, even if we do fall out and uh, we get some decisions wrong. But ultimately, I, I'm the manager, you know, and it's it, it's it'll always lie on my head and, and I always make sure that's the case. And I guess, I mean, there'll be East Kilbride fans listening to this. We talked at the start about the the budget you might have to call on. I mean, can can you let them know? I mean, are you are you close to getting anybody in right now, or or is it proving tougher just because of the circumstances right now to get players tied down? Um, I think the circumstances may be more difficult than any other year because uh, we don't really know what's going to happen. We still don't know when we can start back. We still don't know what the, how money's going to be looking. The scale of hearts going to go up. Uh, all we're doing is focusing on uh, East Kilbride at the moment, focusing on the recruitment side of it. We've had a lot of great calls. We've got a lot of people that phone us, um, selling a lot of players to us in terms of players that we would think, never seen that, never think that player would drop down to East Kilbride or drop down to that level. 
considering the level they've, they've came at. But I think they can see there's something that's going to happen there. Yeah, so we're making progress. Well, meetings today again. I mean, every, every day we've been catching up. I've been speaking to players. Um, you know, and it takes time because there's still that uncertainty when often it's going to start back. And I think while that's still there, then they will need to be patient. But but rest assured that there's a uh, level of players we're talking to would really excite uh, these surprise supporters, and then hopefully we can get them in. How many have you got signed as a squad right now? Uh, I, I spoke about the squad last week, the current squad. Um, I say there's not many, because a lot of my kind of younger players that are coming from the under twenties were helping the first team out. Uh, but in terms of kind of first team squad, there was only about seven or eight uh, that right. I, I met up with, um, you know, and obviously a couple's moved on um, from there as well. So there's a lot of work to get done, you know, there's a lot of recruitment to get done, you know. But this, I mean, every, I mean, I've never known a season when every player's get out of contract and get released from a club. I'm not only clubs would keep five or six and build about that, but you're seeing Queen of South and you're seeing Falkirk and other players available. It just shows you the amount of players out there. So. Uh, there's going to be plenty. Uh, you know, we just have to be make sure we get the right ones. We were even talking about it at our club this week at Humane's and we were saying that uh, there's also got to be a second phase because we're speaking to a lot of players just now and it's keeping our options open and, and yeah. seeing, you know, seeing what other clubs are going to come in. And, you know, we're not as daft to think of other clubs going to offer boys money to go. But I think there's also going to be a second phase as well, Stevie, where uh, there'll be plenty of, plenty of time to get boys that are, that are not fixed up and you guys yeah. must be looking at that as well yeah we are I mean it's, we're making a lot of good calls out there we're making a lot of good offers uh, you know but understandable players want to look at the bigger picture look what else is there but they have to be careful as well what they're looking for might not be there you know it's alright saying that this club might be interested but that club might financially be in border that club might not be able to offer what you think they're going to be able to offer so I think there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with other clubs, but and you're right, it's there's going to be that many that uh, some people think they might get an offer there, and then it comes to the offers know what the, what they thought it was going to be, then they'll need to try and scamper for something else. So uh, it's really a time for players that my my thinking behind it was for a player if I had a kind of serious offer that actually suited me, I'd be trying to look, I, I'd maybe take that because I don't know what's going to come at the back of this, um, you know and. It's no, time will tell but you're right what you're saying it's, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for all, all the clubs coming up yeah, the other thing a lot of players are obviously down the divisions a lot of teams pay over 40 weeks rather than 52 weeks a year I don't know what your circumstances as well but I, I know a couple of players now are saying well wait a wee minute here we don't know when we're going to go back so maybe taking an offer at 40 weeks mm-hmm. is better than taking taking no offer at, at 52 and yeah. I think that's, that's got to be a big option for a lot of the lower division teams as well. Yeah, there's that aspect of it as well. Yeah, and a lot of clubs work differently. Um, you know, it's uh, down to, I think it depends what league you're in, depends what club you're dealing with. But you're right, that's another one. When, when will it start? When, if I sign a contract, when might it's going to start? Um, you know, but I say we're working hard, the guys at East Kobe, they're working hard in terms of uh, when we're structuring deals that would make sure it suits the player to make sure he's happy with that um, and if it means like he'll get paid for X amount of weeks then as long as it covers him that keeps him happy and also the club can work with that then but again it's another uncertainty that you'd never ever get any other season We're talking about this obviously in relation to, to football but you've obviously had the personal side to deal with as well you know the sort of the personal aspect of what the coronavirus crisis has, has done to the economy and, and you're obviously made Redundant by Rolls Royce after how, how many years were you, were you working there? 
13 years I've been there. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how tough has that been to, to deal with, you know, not just the outcome, but I guess there would have been a build-up to it as well? Yeah, nobody envisioned this coming. I think, I think if they can turn around and say that, you know, it's a fantastic company. Um, 13 great years there. Uh, we announced in February that we're taking the, the, the bigger engine. So that was going to maybe give us another 25 years work minimum, because that's usually a cycling engine if a new one comes out. So the, the, the plans were in place um, to take the, the, the company right to probably retire in time. And then you're thinking, great, that's got a good, good bit of peace of mind, security. And then this happens, and the aviation industry was probably one industry, but maybe the kind of hospitality industry, they get absolutely annihilated. You know, planes are grounded, uh, no orders were getting taken, orders that were putting in were taken back, engines that were in for service were no longer in for service because we were sitting there. So I think there was an, an earjack reaction for all the uh, aviation uh, industry in terms of BA announced it, Virgin announced it, EasyJet, Ryanair, Boeing, Airbus, the big, the, the big, the big builders. And Rolls Royce had to follow suit on that, so I can get what they're all doing. But I just thought that they should have took their time to use the follow scheme, which was put in place to keep people in employment. No, actually, make them redundant. And then take stock in six months' time and see what it is. Um, we were trying to negotiate with the company for the union level to sit on the table and say, what can we do to help out? But they just made drastic actions. Um, you know, and unfortunately, all the Rolls Royce sites in the UK, and there's, there's plenty of them. Um, the attack to our site is the word to use, uh, you know, so it's not difficult to take uh, because, as I, as I said, it's a great company to work for, a lot of good friends here. Uh, my brother worked in there. Um, you know, and we're hopeful that the, the government can maybe help out, you know, and it's, I know it's a kind of a long shot, but we can only hope that they can maybe try and sort something to keep it open, but it's looking very highly unlikely. I was just going to touch on that and, and say, you know, is there any kind of rescue packages from the government? There's obviously a lot of good, skilled workers out there. Do you see, obviously, the aviation industry is going to be is going to pick back up? Have they given any indication that guys' jobs could come back? That, that's what we're trying to hope or negotiate with them because they kept on saying two or three years. That, and that was like a kind of estimate because that's what I kind of think Bowen and Airbus said that the kind of manufacturer will stop at. But you actually look now, and I mean, that's Virgin uh, uh, advertised it the 20th of July, then they'll be flying to the US. I think Ryanair's starting back, Jet 2 are starting back. Uh, so I thought, I think it's a lot back a lot quicker than what it actually has, what they thought at the start. And I know it's going to tell you we'll get back to the same level of travel, but at least there's an indication. Then you can maybe start working, restructuring the company. So it's so you've not got the big overheads in the next six months. And we'll, the, the staff and the workers were willing to sit down with them negotiate packages uh, well deferring wages uh, and we've done that again you know but it's shareholders and go to protect the business as a whole uh, and moving our, our side of the business which is repair and overhaul to Hong, Por- Hong Kong or China they see that's more viable for the business and unfortunately that uh, it's made us um, lose our sight but you're right we're hoping that the government to fair the government Scottish and UK have turned around and said we'll do what it takes because it's losing your job, but you're losing skilled workers, you're losing a big company with Rolls Royce out of Scotland. Uh, and if that goes, it'll never ever come back. And I don't think Scotland can afford to go and do that. So here's hoping, but I say that it's, it's, it's looking uh, highly unlikely at the moment. So is it kind of finished for you just now, or is it kind of gardening leave, or is it waiting to find out how you've been left? We're still followed at the moment. I think probably about eighty percent of the site uh, is followed. Um, there's only um, I said my brother's still working. There's only a handful of people back in there, just obviously kind of clearing up and doing what's there. 
Um, the indication is that waiting for you to get back to us, but it could be I'll not get back in there, I'll not get back in the site. Um, and then all we'll do is wait for a, a date and a package that can be agreed, and, um, and then I'll be out looking for a job. Is there always that, because you're obviously well known in Rolls Royce, because you're the, the football manager as well, is there always that, well, you're all right, you're kind of in, in a job type thing? Listen, that might get down with some people, but I think that people realise that the football is now a bit money for me. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had a good job. It was always about what I can maybe achieve, what I can maybe do. Um, listen, everybody helps. I mean, it's the situation, especially now. I mean, I always say to people, half a loss, better no loss. Um, you know, so, but I'll still need to get to the big bad world, as they say. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people will be doing that to try and sell a job. So, but, um, so if you want to be looking, give me a shout. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I remember meeting you for for coffees and stuff and you you telling me about how you used your Rolls Royce job and, and doing night shifts to help your football. And it sounded logical, but and actually, you know, the fact that you were working all the way through the night, going to your bed, waking up, going to watch a reserve game. Tell us a bit more about that, you know, and, and, and but, I mean, you found that beneficial, didn't you, to your football? Well, the Rolls Royce were always great supportive um, with my football. Um, even at East Kilbride, the older site, uh, they used to, cameras used to come in, used to do interviews, and the managing director was really, really positive in, in terms of making it work. They never ever stood my road in terms of shift patterns, uh, away for games. But it was always, no, I struggled, but it was always a case of chasing their tail to get to work, to get to training. And when they put the new... Uh, uh, line, wash line, where we work, um, they spent a lot of money uh, putting a new system in. They wanted to run three shifts, uh, and me and my brother volunteered for night shift. One, because that would have helped us, but two, to get the other guys off it, because nobody wanted to work night shift. So we volunteered to do constant night shift. Um, and then it kind of fitted in with the football, but in terms of I was never chasing my tail. I was always shattered. I, mean, <laughs> I was never had a lot of sleep, but um, you're right, you're finishing night shift, you're going home. Yeah, a few years kept. There's always something to do while you're part time, and, and Paul will tell you this. Whether you're part time or full time, there's always something happening. There's always a phone call to me. There's always going to meet somebody. There's always a plan for a training session. Um, you know, but it, it really suited me. Although it did take its toll, you know, but um, it wasn't easy. Um, I, think, I think the coffee was a, the one thing that kind of kept me going during the day. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's the thing you sacrifice to make things work. You know, and I was quite happy to sacrifice other shifts. Um, to, to shoot the football when I said it, it worked out really well at the time. You mentioned the coffee there. I mean, tell us about how you've been keeping Costa in business for the last uh, <laughs> well, decade, maybe. Uh, I think the last years I've been selling backup since I've opened up two weeks ago in the drive through. Um, <laughs> but I noticed that was a drive through. I think I was the first car in the queue. <laughs> and, and I got a coffee. I just done a U turn and enjoyed the queue again. Another one. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I can never drink coffee. And people turn around and say, I've met you a coffee for a few times, Gareth, and I could never, ever drink coffee to smell it, but I kept meeting people in Costa, when I became a manager, uh, and I can't keep drinking tea, so I was like, I'll courtesy take, I think it was a caramel a caramel latte, was the first one I took, but that much sugar in it, that you're, you're wide awake for days, and I looked at the calorie count, I'm thinking, I can't take that, and from there I kind of came off it, and I knew it's the opposite way about it, and I can't function unless I got a flat light, so... <laughs> Um, no, it's always good. It's, uh, I say it's, it's quite funny because I've been playing golf with Derek this week. Uh, he's been back up from Aberdeen back home, and 
every morning he turns up to the golf course with a cappuccino for Starbucks. So it's not just me that likes a coffee, it's not yeah. Cost a coffee, bray head. It's where every football deal gets done. <laughs> Listen, see the amount of time I've been in there um, <laughs> talking to players and an agent's with another player. I think it was one point there was three managers and three agents giving three separate deals. <laughs> oh, I don't about this coffee shop. So that's for the listeners. If you ever want to see a football player, go to Costa Coffee and Brayhead when it's when it reopens. Um, a good chance you maybe see something getting done. Rather, Glenn Glenn Ken have signed right back Jackson Bigger from Rossvale after previous spells at Bonneton, Thistle, and Darville. Troon have added Ryan Nisbet from Glen Afton. Defender Paul Miller has committed to Whitlet's Victoria for a third successive season. Midfielder Callum Nairn will stay at Ardea for another year as a player, but will take more of a coaching role. Uh, Roddy Patterson has agreed to stay for another season at Peters Hill after joining from Irvin Meadow in the early part of last season. He finished as top scorer with 16 goals from 21 games. Midfielder Corey Irvin has been added to their squad too after returning to Scotland from a scholarship at Georgia Southern University. They've unveiled their first signing. Goalie Jamie Barkley is joined from Lowland League side East Stirlingshire. Can I just come in there, Gareth? You touched on uh, rather Glen Glencairn there. This week, the Vandals have broke in there and smashed up the dugouts. And yeah, another, right? Yeah, just another uh, week and another, I was going to say junior team, but now West of Scotland team being hit with vandalism. Absolutely shocking. Okay, you, have to ask, you have to ask, you know, parents, do they know where their kids are at times, don't you? It's terrible. Yeah, nice. It's shocking. Shocking. I'm Joe Rossi, player coach of Vale of Leithen. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to our feature, Inside the Mind. Each week, we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Stevie? Who was your idol as a boy? Um, David Cooper was mine. Uh, I remember um, going to Rangers games as a kid, uh, and there's one player that I, I thought, that's what I'd like to be. Um, and I followed up followed his career. Um, we used to go to reserve games. Remember the old days when the first team played away and the reserves were playing at the Ivox. We used to get the bus down. My uncle picked me up and go to the game. And um, and he was the one that I always thought that um, I'd like to be like him. And obviously I was nothing like him. <laughs> I, I, I played as a winger, uh, but not the same kind of talent he had. But a uh, talented, talented player. Sadly lost, um, you know. And but I, I looked up to him when I was a kid and. Although I couldn't kick my left foot, uh, I tried to kind of be like him when I was younger, and as I said, I was end up with the complete opposite. It was Durante until he started working with him. <laughs> to, to be fair, Durante was up there because, um, again, it was another one that uh, I actually remember going to his comeback game. I remember after he signed his third comeback game, that the Govan stand I was actually sold out, and, and they had to open the last stand to get that many people in. I think it was 20,000 there. Uh, and I went to that to watch him as well, you know, but. I was, it might have been a toss of a coin, but uh, I don't think Dan would actually miss losing out to David Cooper because I think <laughs> he always spoke how highly he was. So, but hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> Who was the opponent you always dreaded facing? Because he came up at, at Morton, our biggest rival was St Mun. That was always the, the biggest one that you had to make sure you beat. Um, and made some great ding dongs through the years because I was coming through at the same time as Hugh Murray, Steve McGarry. Then Big Mark Yardley came in the same kind of, I think Jim Dick in the middle of the park, um, Norrie McWhorton was playing. They had a right good good team sitting there. Uh, but Hugh Murray was always the one that 
uh, I was older against and they were all kind of, kind of same ages and it, was, and it was always a difficult opponent uh, but I think that, that's the kind of playing but my heart my, probably my hardest one was and it might touch the same as when I go against Stevie Farrell as a manager I uh, had my brother it was always when you score a goal it was hard to celebrate uh, when you win the game it was difficult it made three or four games that I just never felt comfortable celebrating or victory or celebrating a goal um, in front of him because it was such a good relationship good working relationship my brother was there um, but so if you're looking at both ways playing was like Hugh Murray was not difficult but I think the hardest one was cause I think players you just go about the game and you try and get into that, knock each other out you try and get into it and try and wind people up you know and play the game but I think management was always felt harder um, I say especially against uh, Stevie it was always difficult What was the favourite football top you wore and why? You'll never get this, guys. I know you've got a encyclopedia in football and you'll never get this one. I was actually quite happy you said this, right? <laughs> Gary Lippman in Finland top I had. There you go. Are, 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 you, are you confused right now? Like, how did they get that? Top? How did I was just going to say, I mean, is there a link there or did you just get it for Christmas one year or something? No, no, there was a, there's a link uh, and it might go to my next question. When Morton signed two Finnish boys, remember Mark? Oh, Mark yes, yeah, yeah. And Yanni Lindbergh. Well, the two of them were, well, Yanni Lindbergh was a captain of Finland at the time, um, and he played the same team as uh, Lippman. I remember talking to him uh, about going away and what's it like, blah, blah. And he came back and said, I've got a present for you. And I said, oh, what is it? And he gave me Lippman and stop. So one day we were training, I was like, I'm going to start on under my tap. So I had that on first, and then my troop were bottom training and tap and tap it. <laughs> Did it help <laughs> so you play at all? On. Did it help you at all? <laughs> nah, I thought, no, I thought, I certainly didn't play like him anyway. <laughs> Uh, who's the best player you've played with? Follow up for the last question. Uh, I think in the last year, and you'll all know that, that Paul will probably go back to this as well. We seem to be coming through years ago. There was never a thing about sports scientists, or another thing about looking yourself away for it. It was always a case of playing your training, uh, going to get a game of snooker, or you maybe going to get a game of golf. There was nothing else away for football. And I remember the two Finnish boys came in, um, and I remember how dedicated they were. After training, they were hitting the gym. They were staying out, they were doing extra stuff. Um, Yanni Lindberg was opened my ups a bit to a different aspect of football. It's not about just that half and a half training session, it's about your lifestyle away from it. You get the right things. I think Paul coming from a different uh, country made him do that, but really on my eyes, he's trained so hard that every training session was like a cup final. Derek McInnes was the same. Derek McInnes was a fantastic trainer uh, and player. Didn't really play a lot of decks, he got his move to the Rangers. Uh, but I was in the team when Yanni was here, it was a terrific help. But Paul gave a big insight that it's just not about the football, and you can see how much the game's developed now. So he was in the right tune back then. Uh, and that's just a, a normal now that players have got new assistants, they've got sports scientists, uh, they go to the gym sessions three or four times a week. But he was doing that way back when I was playing. So uh, he was probably the one that uh, I, I just learned so much from in terms of away from the game, played with and especially training. And what year would that have been, roughly? Uh, this is not my quiz, by the way. <laughs> just when you say that, it's back to my '92, my first shout. Because uh, <laughs> probably, I think they came at maybe '94, '95. They came as two Finnish boys, uh, and they're terrific. You know, we didn't really get players like that at Morton at the time. It was just kind of there was no foreigners at the time. Next minute, these two Finnish boys turned up, and Rajamaki, the, the long blonde hair. Um, and for two years, I mean, they had Morton really going to the Premier League. Um, you know, so the on and off the part, they were really, really good. Um, so, aye, they were terrific, terrific guys and great careers and international players that Paul was the first one I came across. What's the best practical joke you've seen played? 
my, as that's involved in it, um, my big pal Brian Reid, uh, also got a rollers job, it's great to see him back in the game, and he was never one for taking up wind-ups, he does anti nature about him, that he could flip the slight switch, one minute in the training field, he'd be pally pally, next minute he's, he's what he can do again, jump by aggressive streak on him, so he always had a hear a club car at Morton, they came back from Rangers, uh, it's a pusual 306, so it was up, uh, one day I finished training, I got a cardboard cutout, bit of paper, and it was me done, so I blank out the first right, the first word that said something patrol that was stuck on his registration plate. So he couldn't see it because it's the front of his car. Uh, and it's an animal. So you can maybe work out what it said before <laughs> patrol, right? I see Paul's wife, he's got it. So we stuck it on his car. Uh, we all left training, uh, left Gurok, uh, driving back through home. Uh, he's in the you know, town centre, as he probably did, because he played the back Rangers, tall and big guy. Paul's pulled him up. And says, uh, what's, what's the thing with the front of your car? We are talking about. He said, you've seen the front of your car. He says, no. He got out oh, over a number plate. The number plate wasn't showing us cardboard bar paper. <laughs> Beat patrol. Um, and he was, he was raging. He was raging. And, it, and I was the one that was, uh, was behind it all. I told him this day it wasn't me because it, it was it, for days and days. I'm going to get who that was. If I find who that is, I'm going to do them in. That's it. I'm like, I could tell you, not to do me, but it was actually me that done it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, the legend now, but um, ah, that was, uh, that's been great practical jokes in restrooms, but the old stuff like cutting socks and uh, all that stuff as you get, but that was really one then that was, uh, and it was just a wording about it. It wasn't just the, the fact they'd done it, it was actually what it said, and he couldn't see, he's riding about the town set, I think nothing's all right, and people's on the front of his car, it's all about until the police put him there, so. And um, no, that was uh, the fun times. Can I take you back to your, your Morton days? Because I yeah. used to work with John McMaster, who would have been your assistant manager then. That, he was, that, yeah. And yeah. he tells me about that team. So you had Derek, Alan Mahood, uh, Big, I think Brian Reid and stuff like that. Yeah. They actually, you won't believe like, the stories, like how much money they sold these players for. It was like crazy money, wasn't it, back then? Oh, it's Alan McGraw had uh, it was like a conveyor belt of talent coming through. Uh, and we actually look back, even Derek Collins went for a lot of money to Hibs. He went there. Derek Lilly went, Alec Matthew to Newcastle. The Hoods, uh, Brian Reid, McInnes. And I remember playing, it was, I think I played about three or four first team games, um, 16. And I, I, I get pulled into Alan McGraw's office and um, he said, look, uh, Newcastle, I've been watching you. And you've got doing in Friday for the, and spend a week's training. I'm only like, I was 17 at the time, and uh, I was like, fine. He said, so come in on Saturday, tell your dad to come down, we'll tell him exactly what's happening. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking, and it was the papers, and I think I still got the clipping somewhere, but Newcastle going to Morton for the next talented player coming through. Uh, so on Saturday, we were training, and I was to get all the details of flight down. I was saying, Alec Matthew, he was at the time, he Kevin Keegan was the manager. So I'm thinking, go down there, have a week's training, uh, great. And then at the last minute, just before everything was done, the guy was taking me down the scout, and unfortunately, dad passed away. So then they had to call everything off, and they'll revisit it. Uh, and then after that, uh, they must have found it wasn't very good and never got a call. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so, fine no, line, isn't you it? Look at that, you look at that team, I mean, it's, it's, I mean the midfield, we try again, and McInnes was there, and the hood was there. Lindbergh was here, Rajamaki was here. I mean, and up front, you dealt Lily. It was, it was just a, a talented, talented team that had a great career and uh, they all done really well with it. And when you think of the players that they had there at the time, how they never were owning 
and got into the Premier League and stuff like that was unbelievable, wasn't it? Because it, was it was a lot of players, a lot of good players. Yeah, it was talented. The day I lost out, I think it was Dundee United last game of the season, the winners went up to Premier League. And probably behind the scenes, bottom one ready to go to Premier League. And they probably want to now people say the team don't really want to get promoted. I'm not sure if the chairman of the board at the time really did because one, the ground was falling apart at the time, as, as you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's a good nick now. You're starting to lose players, uh, and probably at that time, finances that the football clubs were not what they are maybe nowadays. So, uh, I don't know, I always remember that, that last game of the season that was just getting picked at the post, but I think in a way, uh, the club weren't ready to go up but then after that player started leaving they got the opportunity to go to their clubs and then you miss the boat and they've never been I don't think more than I've been anywhere close uh, to getting back up since they days I learned a lot from John uh, I'd be out scouting for Hartlepool or Chesterfield and John would be there and I think he was maybe Middlesbrough Swans at the time yeah. and he, he was all for giving youth a chance so you maybe see a player I think he's at Swansea City because of the boy Jay Fulton and all that went yeah, down there. That's right. And, and, and I always remember John saying to me, he says, you know, all these scouts in here, they've not seen a player, they're frightened to take a chance in a player. Uh-huh. He says, you know, I was 17 when I when I was in the Aberdeen first team and stuff like that. And and what he, what he taught me was, was unbelievable about the game. Just give people a chance, give people an opportunity. Uh-huh. And that must have been great for you guys coming through at Morton. He was, I think, uh, it's great with me because he stayed at Erskine at the time and um, when I was YTS, he used to pick me up um, and take me to training, but it wasn't a case of, I'll get you to training, it was like, I'll get you half eight because we're going to the gym first, um, and that's where John was, um, and all the players he spoke about, I think a lot of them would, would put it into John McMaster, his training was superb, um, I think he worked him really, really hard, he had that streak about him that was hard, but fair, I think the, the, the Mahoods, um, McInnesies, all the guys, Lilies, I think they put a lot down to John McMaster and what he did. Uh, and I still, I see him, I've not seen him for a wee while enough, but I always see him at games. Uh, and he was always enthusiastic with it. You're right, Cardiff, Middlesbrough. I think John would go to the house to watch a game of football down the street if he could. Uh, you know, so just a really, really good guy. And uh, I said, certainly, my earliest time I here, very grateful for the advice he gave me. You mentioned Alan McGraw. What kind of, what kind of influence was he on you? It was like, no, that way you get into a, kind of a school when they hit, you knew the headmaster above everybody else because they had that kind of stature about him. Alan McGraw was the same. I mean, he just knew that he was Mr. Morton. And when he looked at you, you were kind of looking away, hoping he wouldn't catch an eye because you didn't know what to say to the guy. Um, he's just also a legend in that part in terms of his playing career uh, and what he'd done as a manager. Um, just a Jamie, a guy, absolute gentleman. Uh, I still see him at uh, a lot of games. He still goes to Morton games as he can, but uh, no, it, he was the driving force behind that club, um, and and always will be known as a legend. And if I remember rightly, I remember you telling me a story about how you kind of helped him from time to time as well, though, didn't you? Was, uh, his, his legs used to lock up, also because of the cortisone injections over the year, um, and he'd fall over, and that would make his shoulder go out of place. So what used to happen was is uh, when all the kind of staff were away he was still be there we were still doing jobs there so we would fall in his office uh, he'd use his stick and knock the phone off so the phone off would then uh, let the secretary know that he's actually fell and that was the kind of the cue to, to go up and get him so uh, the first time I'd done it the secretary run up and says can you come up and I'm like so I'm kind of running up and he's lying on the floor you know I mean the guy's in pain his leg's locked up his shoulder's out of place so the secretary says you grab his leg here and I'll grab it so I'm grabbing one bit of his knee the secretary grabbing another bit of his knee so I go one way and the secretary goes the other way to try and straighten this leg 
the swiss before you go to his shoulder so I'm looking at him in the face, I'm looking at him, and he's in so much pain. And I'm, I'm trying to straighten his leg, and his leg's shaking from side to side, if it's going to kind of buckle. And then he goes into place. Then she goes, right, you get the front of his shoulder, I'll get the back of his shoulder. So they're pulling that side. I'm, I'm a young boy, I'm a manager. Um, and then cut our tablets, and then back up his feet, and that was him. And that was just always, and it was always me to get the call to go and sort his leg out for some reason. Do you think he picked you a bit more often, just in case you know, away, you know on an away game that his, his leg went and, and you knew the, the drill? Um, That's how he gets game. One, there, was, there was one time at Broadwood uh, that his leg went, but his leg went. We standing next to the hamper, right? And when he fell into the hamper, the leg came down the hamper, got shut, and they let him sit there. So we couldn't get to him. He was and all you heard was a kind of hand going, "Get me out of here!" And we were all busted laughing, but no one We couldn't be laughing, but he couldn't get the he couldn't get the hamper because his leg was locked up. We had to go and get him, so uh, listen, it, was, it was a shame, you know. I mean, it's uh, to get through that much pain because you wanted to play the football, the game you loved. Uh, it's hard to see, um, you know, and he's he, he's still keeping healthy, um, you know. So, but uh, I it was uh, it was tough doing that. But in terms of manager, hard man, was he a, was he a hard guy? Aye, and they would, uh, aye, it wasn't maybe me shouting. Uh, but Nadie would look at him the wrong way. I think they said you would take on board. But he, he, he just was like, um, Mr. Morton, and like Alex Ferguson was at Man United. It, it, that's true that Man United weren't Alex Ferguson. When you look at Morton, you, right away you go, Al McGraw. When you look at Al McGraw, you say, Morton. That's just the, that's just the way he was. Uh, what happened? It's old, old fashioned type manager. No, I just knew how to go and get the best out in players. And uh, the knacker, I said in the morning, they must have made a club millions to him. What do you think Stevie Aitken, the manager, would think of Stevie Aitken, the player? Hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember no. you telling me again about how maybe you would live your life differently as a player now than what you did back then. I wish I could get back to 16 again. Uh, I think listen, we could all probably see that in life in general, but uh, I do more training now when I'm 43 and what I did when I was 16. I eat better now again at 43 and what I did when I was 16. So I didn't really have an insight to what really has happened. I was like going and taking training, playing, and then that was it. Um, you know, so I was never fit enough. I always thought I was fit enough, but I was never fit enough to go to the next level. Um, and I always remember people saying to me then that ability-wise, it was fine. I mean, I, I, I think I played a decent enough level through the years. I think I knew how to play the game. But in terms of where I, I thought I would have been at 16, where I wanted to be, I never done enough. Never done away for the game. Um and 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 I had the game, you know, I never stayed back at training enough. I've done it now and again. It was like a total gesture to stay back. It was like I could eat half an hour just so I've done it and then get away again. Um I said no, I mean it's I could do three and four training sessions a day. Back then I've never done that. So uh, but I, I think we could probably all say that in terms of in any walk of life. And do you think managers see through that in terms of you're saying you stay behind, you go through the motions? I certainly know and You'll know it as well. After a game, I know guys that are hurting. I know guys that are really f- feeling a defeat and guys that are kicking over water bottles and going through the motions. Do you think, in terms of when you were coming through, managers seen the ones that really had it? Aye, aye. you're probably right, because I think that the proof would be in the performance on Saturday. For example, if you were, David Beckham is a perfect example. He stayed back every day with... 30, 40 balls, put a tyre in the crossbar in the post and try to hit the ball as much as you can into that tyre. You can see he'd done that because he'd done it on a Saturday. It proved that, that it was a practice that got him there. And if you see his video, read his book, uh, that's what it's about. So 
people staying back, as you say, maybe one training session to do a couple of free kicks. How many of the actually guys actually started scoring free kicks on Saturday? It's no, probably no any. You've got to do it. You know, if you're going to stay back, stay back for longer than one night. So I think managers see that. I mean, I'm going to do extra training to get myself fit. Great, then 20 minutes to go. You can't have it on. There's nothing left in the tank. Well, you're, you're just kidding yourself on doing that. I think managers, you're right, they'll see through that. You went uh, down to Stranraer. Do you think that going down to Stranraer, seeing the way Neil and, and Stuart, I know we talked about them earlier, but did going down there maybe open your eyes a little bit more maybe than how you describe you were when you were at Morton? I think when I left there, I was probably at a kind of, kind of crossroads because um, I finished this uh, season quite well with Morton. I think Ian McCall was a manager uh, and I was playing the team and, and, and probably the best I'd felt because he got his fit. Uh, and really, really enjoying it, and then but I'm thinking I can maybe get a move, I can maybe maybe go the next level. Uh, so now I had come in for weeks and weeks, and uh, Billy McLaren's a manager. Uh, and then he McCall went to Airdrie, but Airdrie was still in administration at the time, or just coming out of administration. So um, I spoke to Ian, um, desperate to sign. I was actually signing for less than I was on at Morton, uh, but they kind of, what put me off was that he couldn't guarantee how long the contract was for because of administration. So I've always says, look, it'll be fine, it'll be six months and then I go to a year there was nothing concrete and then Srinagar came in like a three year deal and uh, there I'm thinking I need to kind of look at that but I knew looking back now that I knew football reasons staying full time Mairdry would maybe give me a chance to keep progressing uh, but then if, if I look at didn't go to Srinagar I went and met Neil Watt Stuart Muller guys had a, a great time for a great success and then at the back of that I might never have got the Srinagar manager's job so um, I, I think you can look at that in, in both ways, you know. But certainly, going to Stranraer, um, I've had to win a league, won a league, got promoted, met great guys, uh, and looking back on that, it's probably a great time in my career. Working for Stuart and Neil must have been fantastic because they're two really, really good guys. He must have some funny stories, especially about Stuart. And Neil was a level heavy one. Neil was, I think, I said him maybe three or four years once getting upset and shouting. Stuart was the one that took the brunt of it. Neil was just calm, collective. What was that about, Steve? You've got, te- you got to tell us what that, when he lost the plot. It must have been something big. Because we were playing uh, it. It was, because everybody was kind of taken back. Because we didn't hear them shouting before. It was always like kind of well-mannered. Uh, managed management was always terrific. Um, and then one day, I can't, I can't remember what game it was. It was a while back, and he just lost the plot. And I actually spoke to him a while back about that. I bet we keep going back to the old times what we've done there. And he said, remember that time I lost it? And I says, aye. I still wasn't <laughs> like you because you know that, the way the face goes with. I hadn't seen that. Uh, and the anger in his face. And we all are like, I think you were actually more scared because it's actually all right. We've never seen this before. Stuart was more the, kind of, the harder one. Stuart was the one the boys got on the railway. Um, they would joke a lot with him. They would play pranks on him. Um, you know, I remember the one of the ones that uh, were all sitting in the dressing room before they came in and uh, maybe you should, they can they, they pens it when you press the tap it it can explodes so <laughs> one of the boys went and bought one of them uh, so he came in and said Stuart can you sign the programmes for us he's I need so he put the pen next to it so he picked the pen up so obviously there's no like kind of the bottom bit so he pressed it but it's tap and it explodes <laughs> and he's laughing and everybody's laughing we're on stitches and, I mean, and it made him worse and he's trying to kick things and he's trying to fling things and that was the time before he got his hip done. So his balance wasn't very good. So he was half balanced, his face was bright red. And Neil was at the time. And Neil was actually laughing as well, giggling. But giggling. Maybe he actually knew what he was going to do. Um, but, that, but Stuart had great respect for the players, and the players had great respect for him. You know, but two different guys. If you ask chopping cheese, then uh, they two were like that. But it just worked so well. Good combination. 
Ah, definitely. And just kind of briefly on that that time there, I mean, it was a great time to be involved, wasn't it, when they came in and the, the two successive promotions and playing in what's now the championship? But it was terrific uh, because we had a nucleus a good side there because the, the year that the, um, before they came in, we were sitting top of the league at Christmas. And then it really good that year. It was like incredible how the second half of the season went. They just kind of fell away. And I didn't know Neil. I've done what usual when you get a manager appointed. You, you phone people. Is it made a hell of a time? I knew a guy that played there. Really, really good. But you don't really know until somebody comes in. And But I had a great relationship with him. You know, it took a bit of time to get in the team. But once you get in the team, I was probably never coming back at it. And then really enjoyed working with the two of them. And when it kind of all ended there, we're talking about down the divisions tonight. You ended up going to... Stenhouse Muir and, and then you mentioned your spell in the juniors at Arthurley. I mean, how, how did you enjoy those days or what is it like when you're a player, maybe when you've then had to kind of take the step down, if you like, are you playing it for enjoyment? Are you playing it because you don't want to, you don't want to give up those, uh, those, those times, if you like? Uh, I think when they were not left, I think that that was that, that, that was that kind of special born and gone. Uh, and Jerry Britton came in. Um, and again, Jerry and Derek Ferguson, um, I was playing the team and uh, playing quite well actually um, a good running team I actually scored a few goals which is quite surprising and I remember between Christmas New Year that one of the players uh, James McKinnon from our banjo that played with Parthy Thistle uh, he was there and he fought me and said Jerry Britton just fought me and um, said look I'm free to find a new club I'm not going to play again and I'm like nah, I can't be I said well just stick tight I said you have nothing you don't need to leave uh, he's like right okay 50 minutes later my phone goes Jerry Britton I'm like, Gaffer, how are you doing? He said, I find look, just to let you know, we're, um, we're going to do a different route and you'll not play again. So you're free to find another club. I'm like, no, I'm playing the team. And when I was playing the team, I was like, he says, no, I know that. I said, no, I'm actually playing quite well. And I said, actually, probably one of your better players. He says, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. He said, but I just want you to do a different route and you're free to find another club. And I'm like, right, fine. And that's the first time in my career, from what I'm at 16, that I had a manager saying, I'm not wanted. So that's maybe what, towards maybe 28, 29, 30 even, that was the first time. So I didn't know how to take it. Mm. I'm like, one more going there. Then I started training myself. I had to go to Strathclyde Park, the physio. Uh, a couple of other players, wasn't like to train the team. And I said, you know what, that's not the way to be. Campbell, when they phoned me, came in to stench me. But I was never, there's only about eight weeks to season to go. There's no transfer window then. So I just came in eight weeks to go. And I never, I never felt comfortable. And I never really, not enjoyed it, except with nothing to do with stench me my fair mind was away. Left there. Uh, and then I thought I, f- I fell at the game. Then Arthur came in, uh, went there. Um, and it started fine, you know, but managers left. And, but that probably time, I probably wasn't training as much. I probably was a bit more overweight. I was new working with Rolls Royce. Uh, and it didn't work out, you know. And I remember I actually phoned Snowar at the time because I'm a bad way and said, look, I'm back and play for nothing. I need something to get me going because I'm going nowhere here. Um, and you just still had something to offer. What level, I wasn't too sure. Um, I went back there and helped a wee bit in the games, but I kind of knew then that my playing days were coming to an end, you know, and had to start focusing on something else. Uh, and also the coaching was really good, and that was my next my next move. And when you phoned to go back, obviously, with Jerry Britton to take it away at this point, was, was that when Keith was there? Yeah, yeah, Jerry was away, and then I think that Ferguson took the team, um, and then O'Hare left, and, and Keith went in and, uh, and took control of it. But as I said, they were really, really struggling to find every player was available. I think they're better players, like so I think Eddie Taddy, all the kind of high-end ones that all left for nothing, and left them with virtually half a team with some kids. Um, and it was just, I, I just had to go out 
to where I was and try something different. Um, and I said, happy to play for nothing. Um, and I, I got a wee jag from that. I must admit, I got a wee jagging back there. Um, you know, but I kind of knew that there wasn't much long left and get doing the coaching. It was the next 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 thing. And I'm glad I'd done that. Do, do you miss the playing now, or or is is management does that take the the kind of that 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 feeling away if you like? I don't I, I, I don't really miss playing a bit up front and honest. I know a lot of people that kind of uh, finish up with their coaching management. They still like playing. I, I think because I've been so involved in management for the last seven years, the players kind of forgot about now. Um, at least my wee brother, he'll still go and play five a sides. He, he still really enjoys the playing side of it. Uh, I'm just not kind of away from that um, and really concentrate on the management side, coaching side, the finer details, um, and really that takes on my focus. Um, if I could still play again, then I'd, I'd love to, but um, I say that I'm, I'm not sure the, the feet goes in the same direction as where the head wants to go, so I'll just stick to running down the streets of Bishop and that'll do me. <laughs> Before we finish up, we'll just clear up this uh, down the divisions decider. Like uh, I'm miles away, and I'm going to tell him I'm about yeah. to be over 13 years out. I know it's coming. It's been that long, I can't even remember what year I said. <laughs> uh, I said, can I change it? I said, 90, can I change it? It's no 92. It's 92 I'll, I'll, give, bottom, so. I'll, I'll give you the clues again first. Right. Peter and Elgin were, were granted league status. That was 98. Dr. Harold Shipman was sentenced to life imprisonment after being found guilty of murdering 15 patients. Chelsea beat Aston Villa 1-0 in the last FA Cup final at the Old Wembley and Big Brother was aired in the UK for the first time. Stevie? See, the one that's flinging me is a cup final. No. Old Wembley, that, Old Wembley's no longer away. Like, I, I, I'm, it's definitely no 92. I don't know what I was thinking out there. I, was kind of, I, I must have miscounted my toes and my fingers at that point. So I'm, <laughs> going for, I'm going for 98, but you say, I think 98. I, I, think we're in, I think we're in 2000s, but nah. we'll stick with 98. I'm going 98. It was 2000. Oh, you spot on. You had that. Told you not listening to me. I'm not a clue what I'm talking about, Paul. Told me. But I enjoyed that. Superb, Stevie. Brilliant. Yeah, Stevie. Brilliant. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us and uh, oh, sharing your, your stories. And uh, no, really enjoyed that. And um, we'll obviously keep tabs on you at East Cabride and hopefully maybe get you on the show when when football gets going again and you can you can let us know how things are going then and you'll have your squad built all being well and hopefully. Yeah. If you're not backing at Rolls Royce, you've you've got something else secured ASAP. Well, I appreciate it uh, for having me on the show. It's been great talking to you. It's uh, really good talking about old times. You've only got a chance to go and do that. Um, the exciting times come up. And no, listen, it's a pleasure. It's mine. Uh, and thanks again. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com. That's divisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.